0: Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Jerusalem prepares for invasion, as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 21, verse 13. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: Israel, if they would only read the Bible... They would realize that Iran is the one to watch, not Saudi Arabia. That in the end, when the conflict comes, Saudi Arabia will join in the protest, not in the fighting, just in the protest of Russia's invasion of Israel. So the fact that these things are all moving in that direction right now makes, of course, the Bible extremely relevant to our own world in which we live and, and the and the current decisions that are being made by the State Department and all of those guys, you know, that deal with world strategy. How much support shall we give to Saudi Arabia? And, um, you know, all of this. And, and, and yet the Bible lays out the whole story of the future. Now, this burden that he has for Dedanim, one of the tribes of Arabia, the inhabitants of the land of Timah, brought water to him that was thirsty. They prevented with their bread him that fled. For they fled from the swords and from the drawn sword and from the bent bow and from the grievousness of war. Now this prophecy of Isaiah had an immediate fulfillment. For thus hath the Lord said unto me, Within a year, according to the years of a hireling, and all of the glory of Kedar shall fail. And the residue of the number of archers, the mighty men of the children of Kedar, shall be diminished, for the Lord God of Israel has spoken of. Within a year, and within a year, Sargon in 716 B.C. conquered Saudi Arabia. So that prophecy can be checked off as one that was fulfilled. Now, in chapter 22, he turns his attention to Jerusalem which is referred to as the valley of vision. And this is the burden of the valley of vision. What aileth thee now that you have gone up to your housetops, that you are full of stirs, a tumultuous city, a joyous city? Thy slain men are not slain with a sword, nor dead in battle." All thy rulers are fled together. They are bound by the archers. All that are found in thee are bound together, which have fled from far. Therefore, said I, look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Labor not to comfort me because of the spoiling of the daughter of my people. And so he sees them not being slain with a sword. And in seeing their destruction, he weeps. He said, don't try to comfort me. Because I'm weeping for the spoiling of the daughter of my people. For it is a day of trouble, a day of treading down and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of the crying to the mountains. And Elam bare the quiver with chariots and the men and horsemen and care uncovered the shield. And it shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. And he discovered the covering of Judah, and thou didst look in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that they are many, and you've gathered together the waters of the lower pool. And you have numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you have broken down to fortify the wall." Now. He is speaking of the preparations that were going on at that moment in Jerusalem in preparing themselves for the threatened invasion by Assyria, which had destroyed the northern kingdom. And now Assyria was threatening to come with her armies to destroy Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah, the king, was making these precautions. First of all, he dug this tunnel some 1,700 feet from the spring of Gihon into the pool of Siloam, coming under the wall of the city, under the area of Ephol, there, the old city, that, uh, Iphol, that came up from the spring of Gihon. And through this rock, they, they dug this tunnel 1,700 feet long because the spring of Gihon has a good head of water that flows through it constantly. And that was the, one of the major supplies for water in Jerusalem. It happened to be outside of the wall because it was down at, in the Kidron Valley at the base of Ophel there. And so what they did was dig this tunnel... And then they covered over the spring so that the Assyrians would not know the source of the supply of their water. And so they diverted it through this tunnel, brought it into the pool of Siloam within the gate so that they would have a water supply during the siege of the Assyrians. And then they took some of the houses and they broke down the walls in order to Fortify the the houses, they broke them down To fortify the breaches that were in the walls That were surrounding Jerusalem And they were just fortifying the city And preparing the city for this coming invasion by Assyria You've made a ditch between the two walls For the water of the old pool and, And they've done all of these things But, but, and this is what the prophet is getting on to their case about you've done all of you know fortified the walls you've done dug the pool the uh, the uh, tunnel for the water and so forth but you have not looked unto the maker thereof neither had you respect for him that fashioned in other words who created the spring of Gaihon? who put the source of water there you you've you've tried to fortify yourself with your own ingenuities, but you haven't really looked to God for your help or for your guidance or for your protection or for your strength. This is a mistake I think that we oftentimes make, is that we are doing everything in the natural, but we're not doing anything in the supernatural. We're not looking to God. We're not looking for God's strength or God's guidance or God's help. A lot of people today that are doing all kinds of things, you know, and and storing up foods and and trying to, you know, prepare themselves for a, a coming desolation that they envision. And they're not really looking to God. They're not really turning to God for guidance, for help. They're not really trusting in the Lord. They're trusting in their own capacities. And so the prophet finds fault with them for not looking to God. In that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and the girding with sackcloth. Now the baldness was the shaving of their heads and as, a, as a vow unto God. And God was calling them for a consecration and a commitment unto him. Now, God had said, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. But rather than humbling themselves and praying and seeking God, they were taking every natural precaution that they could, but not taking God into account at all. Now, God does expect us to use wisdom and to take natural precautions, but he also wants us to look to him and to trust in him. And when God is calling us to times of fasting and prayer and waiting upon him, then it is manifestly wrong that we seek our own resources for our deliverance. And so when they should be weeping and mourning, girding themselves with sackcloth, they were having parties. There was the slaying of the ox and the killing of sheep, the eating of flesh, the drinking of wine. And they were saying, let us eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. And we look around at the scene in America when God is calling for weeping, God is calling for prayer, God is calling for sackcloth. We see the people just blithely going on, seeking pleasure, leaving God out of their lives, and it seems to be the attitude, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. And so the prophet comes out against this. And it was revealed in my ears by the Lord of hosts, surely this iniquity will not be purged until you die. There's no, there's no cleansing part. The, the, the course is set, the, the die is cast, they won't change until the judgment comes saith the Lord God of hosts. Oh, what a, what a terrible, awesome indictment. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go, get thee unto this treasurer, even unto Shibna, which is over the house, and say, What do you have here? And who do you have here? That you have hewed thee out a sepulcher here, as he that heweth him out a sepulcher on high, and he that graveth a habitation for himself in a rock. Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity and will cover thee. Now, while all of this was going on, here this guy who was the treasure of the nation was building himself out of the rock, a, a beautiful sepulcher. Now, if you go to Israel in the Kidron Valley, you'll see some beautiful sepulchers that were hewn out of the rock there in the Kidron Valley. And uh, this guy was... Cutting him out, one of these fancy sepulchres for himself. And and the prophet Isaiah says, Hey, why are you making yourself a fancy sepulchre here in the land as though you're going to get buried here? You're going to get carried away captive and they're going to cover you someplace else. You know, people laying up their plans for their future. God's going to interrupt your plans. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country, and there you're going to die, and there the chariots of your glory shall be the shame of the Lord's house. And I will drive thee from your station and from your state Shall he pull thee down? And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Now, Shibna was the treasurer. But Eliakim was also one of Hezekiah's counselors. They were both men of state. And later, when the Rabshakeh, who is one of the spokesmen for King uh, Shenechrib of Assyria, when he came to bring the, a, a demand for surrender from King Hezekiah, Eliakim or Eliakim and Shebna were two of the men that dealt in the matters of state. Now Eliakim evidently was God's choice. Shebna was a foreigner who was usurping a place there, trying to build himself a big. Tomb to be buried in and all. He says you're going to get carried away and buried elsewhere in a large land and all. Now, in this, the two men, Shibna and Eliakim, you have one of these cases where you have a prophecy that is veiled in the near fulfillment and in the far fulfillment. He was dealing with a particular situation. These two men were at that time men of state in Israel. And Shibna was to lose his position and Eliakim was moved in, God's choice. But from a prophetic standpoint, you have here Shibna as a type of the Antichrist and Eliakim as the type of Jesus Christ. And even as the Antichrist will come and, and be hailed and, and, uh, seek to ingratiate himself to Israel, yet he will be destroyed and the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come and establish the kingdom. So you have here types of yet the future. And so when you get into verse 22, it lapses on out. And Jesus picks up verse 22 when he is talking to the church of Philadelphia. And he is introducing himself to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3 there, unto the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So Jesus makes this verse apply to him. That is why we say that it had an immediate fulfillment, but also it looked down prophetically and yet has a future fulfillment as Jesus takes these very words out of verse 22 and applies them to himself. And the key of the house of David will I lay on his shoulder, that is, Eliakim. And he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut... And none shall open, and I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And so a little little light of future burst in, and then he comes back to the local situation. They shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue of all vessels of small quantity from the vessels of cups, even the vessels of flagons. And in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Now in chapter 23, he takes up his burden against Tyre. Tyre was, of course, a seaport town. It was uh, the area the people of Tyre were known as Phoenicians. And so you who are versed in your ancient history know of the Phoenicians and the tremendous uh, navy that the Phoenicians possessed. They were merchants. Their ships plied the Mediterranean. In fact, they even went around the Cape Horn to bring back goods, merchandise and all. And the Phoenician navy more or less ruled the seas, uh, and uh, in those days, the navies were used primarily for merchandising. And so Tyre was the commercial capital of the world as far as goods and and variety of goods and all. Uh, commercialism more or less centered in Tyre in those days, the city of Tyre. So he is uh, pronouncing now the judgment of God against Tyre the commercial capital. It is interesting as you go into the prophecies of Ezekiel that Ezekiel also in chapter 26 declares the destruction of Tyre. The description that Ezekiel gives in chapter 26 is much more detailed than is that of Isaiah. Ezekiel points out that there will be two enemies that will come against Tyre. The first one would break down their walls Destroy their cities and so forth The second one would take the rubble And cast it into the midst of the sea And scrape the dust and cast it into the midst of the sea And he goes on and, and, he, and he divides the sieges of Tyre Between he shall do this, he shall do this, he shall do that And then it turns and the pronoun becomes they And they and they and they Now as you look at your secular history You'll find that Nebuchadnezzar came against Tyre first. After a 13-year siege, he finally took Tyre. But as the Scripture said, he'll not get any spoil. And Nebuchadnezzar, after 13 years, did not take any spoil. Because while he was uh, besieging the city of Tyre, because he basically had a land army, and and the Phoenicians had all these ships, the people of Tyre, during this period of siege, actually moved to an island that was about a mile offshore. And they built a whole new city of Tyre on this island so that by the time Nebuchadnezzar took the city of Tyre, the people had pretty well moved out to this island and thus he didn't take any spoil, just like Ezekiel said. But then Ezekiel said, and they shall come. And they shall take thy timbers and thy stones And cast them into the midst of the sea And they will scrape thy dust and throw it into the midst of the sea That's a strange thing for a prophet to say about the destruction of a city But when Alexander the Great A couple hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar Came in his conquest of that area When he came to the city of Tyre And made a demand that they capitulate to him They said, are you kidding? You know, we're safe, we're out here on this island There's nothing you can do Well, he tried to gather a navy from ships in Sidon and so forth, and it was th- that invasion was crushed. And so Alexander the Great then launched upon this very interesting campaign of taking the ruins of the old city of Tyre. And he began to throw the rocks, the timbers and all, building a causeway out to the island finally taking the dirt and scraping it and dumping it on top so that he could get his machines for besieging the city and all, moving them along this causeway that he built and he fulfilled the weird prophecies of Ezekiel of scraping the dust and all and throwing it into the midst of the sea and he built the causeway out to Tyre and finally took the city of Tyre, utterly destroying it And the Bible says, and thy place shall be a place for the spreading of nets.
0: We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 21-23. through When visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org.
1: Keep you in His love May the Spirit of God just take the Word of God And continue to refresh our minds and our hearts In God's truth This week, may the Lord bring back to us In our times of need That Word that we have put in our hearts And have studied together And may we grow together in the family of God into that fullness, into that completeness that He would have us to experience and know in Jesus Christ.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Gather
1: the kids together because the word for today would like to present a kid's book by Pastor Chuck called The Story of the Resurrection of Jesus. Each book contains an audio CD of Pastor Chuck reading this story Featuring the voice talents of Skip Heidsick But I will
0: come back again on the third day Greg Laurie It's Jesus Hi Peter Raul Reese
1: See, it's really Jesus Cheryl Broderson
0: The stone was rolled away The tomb is empty
1: And so many more It's never too early to start reading to your children timeless biblical stories taught by Pastor Chuck. To order your copy, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. Or to see a sneak preview, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org, where you can order this book in print or as a digital download. Again, the number to call is 800-272-9673.